Alrighty, Amway. Amway makes some pretty good products. I'm not sure that they're any better than anybody else's, but I am sure that there's plenty of people about the place, plenty of Amway devotees, who will willingly espouse their benefits to me. Now, many of us are willing to buy a little bit of Amway and use it to clean the bathroom or whatever it is that Amway does, but there is a small contingent of people who... Well, you'd think that Amway had changed their life. In fact, Amway becomes their life. They have parties to celebrate it. They invite all their friends to try and convert them. Um, in every conversation they have with friends, neighbours or even strangers, Amway just seems to be able to mysteriously pop up into the conversation. The times that they enjoy most is when they get to go away to an Amway conference where they can be surrounded by other Amway devotees and enjoy each other's company. And whenever a friend or a relative makes this great confession to you, I've become an Amway rep, or I'm a Tupperware lady now, or Avon Calling, or some kind of vitamin salesman or weight loss consultant or sheets or whatever else, you know that you're going to hear about it, and you're going to hear all about it. Now, most of us... We're happy to get a little bit of product. But for some, it becomes their life. Now, I'm obviously not an Amway consultant, otherwise you would have heard about this before. But I am going to be asking you today, when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, are you someone who's looking for a little bit of product or are you in it for a total and complete, all-consuming change of life? You see, Jesus didn't come to sell us a bit of product, a bit of sin cleanse in a bottle, or freedom ease, spray on, cure all. Jesus came to take your old life and to give you a new one, a completely new life. Jesus didn't command us to go out into the world and make converts. He told us to make disciples. Now, the thing with disciples is, we just discovered, disciples follow. Jesus is looking for disciples. Jesus is looking for men and women, boys and girls, who are willing to follow him, to follow him no matter where he leads, to follow him no matter what the cost. The problem is, for many years in many churches, our aim has been to just get people to say those magic words, I accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal saviour, and we think, ah, the work's done, success, we've got them, they've taken the bait, let's baptise them, and then that's it, right? Wrong. The thing is, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, when you accept Jesus Christ as your saviour, when you are born again, you are born to a very different life. Being born again doesn't look the same as your old life. It's a different one. And you're born to the life of a disciple. You're born to the life of following Jesus. So, when it comes to Jesus, are you looking for a little bit of product so you can tick the I've done it religious box by going to church once a week? Or is discipleship the all-consuming change of life where Jesus becomes your life? Where your desire becomes a desire for Christ? Where your every step is a step set toward following Christ? Where every one of your old passions fade compared to the passion that you have for Jesus Christ? Little bit of product? 
or all-consuming desire? That's the question. Discipleship following Jesus is not for the faint-hearted. There is a cost. So when we get to the reading that we had this morning, Jesus has just finished preaching the greatest sermon that the world has ever heard, the Sermon on the Mount. He's come down from the mountain, he's spoken with authority, people have recognised his authority. Um, And then he starts demonstrating his authority again by healing the sick, by driving demons out. Um, Now, as you can imagine, he's gathered quite a crowd by now. And why wouldn't he? He's had fantastic teaching, amazing healings. People are following him. Lots of people are following him. So what does he do? Verse 18 says, When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he built a church to contain all his followers. No. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he thought, right, well, let's set up a big group here and I'm going to stay here as the guru and people will come to me from miles around. No. Verse 18 says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. What the? I mean, Jesus, you've just gotten their attention The people are just starting to come along. They're just starting to hook into what you're saying. Why would you move? You've got the numbers. You've got the people lapping up what you're telling them. Mate, why would you leave now? You're just starting to make a difference where you are. Why did Jesus leave? Why did he cross over to the other side of the lake? I'll tell you why. Because he wanted to see who was going to follow him. Disciples of Jesus follow Jesus. And sometimes, actually, often, the cost of following Jesus is a tough cost to bear. And I actually wonder if Jesus were to turn up today and come and talk to us today and and say to us, follow me, would you do it? If following Jesus meant leaving your home, would you go? If following Jesus meant following all the way to the cross, would you go? A scribe, that's somebody who studied and knew well the religious law, said to Jesus, Teacher, I'll follow you. Wherever you go, I'll follow you. And Jesus warned him what that could mean for him. He said, You might have to give up your home. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, Jesus was a carpenter, for goodness sake. We we, we can't forget that. If Jesus didn't have a home, he could easily knock one up. But the thing is, for Jesus to follow his heavenly Father meant that he he had to be on the move. He had to sleep wherever his ministry took him. And, of course, that night he was going to spend sleeping on the floor of a boat through a storm. Neither Robin nor I like to move um, and yet it seems every time we've taken big steps to obey God it has always cost us that. First of all God had to get me off the farm and then over the next couple of years he had to take away from me the dream that I had of one day buying a farm again myself. Um, we found ourselves in Dolby and um, we built a house there But then when God called me to go into the ministry, I had to go off to Bible college. Well, we had to give up our home again and move to Brisbane and lived in Robin's family's house. And then next time we had to move, we had to move to St George, came out here. Um, 
And then again last year, we were very settled, very happy where we were, and God said, hey, it's time to leave the Uniting Church, which meant we had to move again. Now let me tell you, for Robin and I, we like to put our roots down. We're those sorts of people, like some people like shifting. We've got friends who like shifting and I don't understand it. To me, it's just, ah, I hate it. We just want to stay in the one spot. And for us, that was a hugely unsettling time. Where will we live? What are we going to do? And of course, we went to the bank and we bought a house. Now, who knows how long we'll be where we are now. Um, But that is nothing compared to how some of Jesus' disciples are called to live. Uh, Robin's aunt and uncle are in in an itinerant ministry. That means they move around from place to place. And I remember when I was early primary school, in Gundawindi. They actually came to Gundawindi. I don't know how long they are there for, but most places they go to, um, they're only, only there a few days or a few weeks and then they move on again. That For all their life, they've virtually had no permanent home and, in fact, it's only in the last 18 months that they've finally bought their first home and they're just about ready to retire. And, um, and even now, they're still off all over the countryside and hardly ever at home. The lesson is sometimes God calls us to give up something that we have so that we can follow him. Not all of us have to give up our homes. Some of us might. But all of us will have to give up something. It's actually pretty rare that a disciple of Jesus Christ doesn't have to give anything up. And so as a disciple of Jesus, be prepared to give up Whatever it is that you have that God is telling you to give up. Whatever you have that is preventing you from following Jesus. Because anything that stops you from following where Jesus calls is exactly what it is that we've got to give up. Anything that becomes an excuse has got to go. I'm reminded of a parable that Jesus told in Luke 14 where the invitation went out, come to the banquet. Come to the banquet. And an old mate goes out to remind everybody, come, it's time, the banquet's on, come, come. And he gets all these excuses. One says, oh, I've just gotten married, I'm going on a honeymoon, sorry, can't come. Another one says, oh, I've just bought another paddock, now I've got to go and have a look at it, so I can't come. And then another one says, oh, I've just bought myself a new tractor. Well, actually, in the Bible it says yoke of oxen, but today talking about tractors. Um, I've just bought a new tractor and I've got to go and try it out so I can't come. All these excuses. God is calling us and yet we have excuses to put God off. Sometimes when God calls us we have to give up something that we have so that we can follow him. Don't let anything that you have, anything, any person, any dream keep you from following Jesus. So disciples are very often called to give up physical possessions or conveniences. But if you talk to anyone who's been in full-time ministry, they will soon tell you that the biggest cost that they've had to endure in ministry has been the cost on their family. Now I'm very aware that as a husband and as a father, When I obey God, it's not only going to cost me, it's going to cost my family. 
Every time we've had to move, my family has had to move as well. Every time I've had to leave good friends behind, my family have had to leave their good friends behind. Now that we've started out in Bush Disciples, that has been an enormous cost on my family. Um, enormous cost in, I guess, in, in, in emotions of what we've gone through. Enormous cost in, in loss of security. Enormous cost in change of direction. But not only that, it's an enormous cost on, I guess, on, on what is required of them now. Um, they come and they help me set up. They go out on mission with us from place to place. We can rarely go away for a weekend. It is a huge cost on the family. But get this, and this is, this is the important part. It's not about me. It's about being a disciple of Jesus. And I'm a disciple of Jesus the same as you are a disciple of Jesus. Now, I might have different gifts to what you have. I might have a different call to what you have. My, the cost of me and my family might be different to the cost of you and your family. But as a disciple of Jesus, it will cost you too when you follow Jesus. You understand that? As a disciple of Jesus, it will cost you too when you follow Jesus. And it will probably cost your family as well. Verse 21. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, I don't know what the story was between this man and his dad. I don't know whether his dad was on his last legs and about to breathe his last and, and okay, just another few days and, and we'll be able to bury him. I don't know whether maybe his dad's been dead for a couple of days and, and, the, and the funeral's the next day. I don't know whether his dad's been dead a long time. He's just waiting for the bones to dry down before he can pack them into a neat little box and put it into a tomb somewhere. I don't know whether this man was actually pretty sprightly, but, he's, but he had a hold on his son and his son couldn't follow Jesus until his dad died. We don't know what the story is. But I can tell you what Jesus' answer means. If you want to experience true life, you come and follow me now. He said, let the dead bury their own dead. But you, you have life. You have spiritual life in you. Follow me now. Family is a good thing. But as soon as you let family take the place of God, You've become an idolater because you've made something else God. And that's a question every one of us Christians has to consider. Does God take first place or does my family take first place? When it's going to cost my family by following Jesus, well, am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to appease my family? Is God your God or is family your God? I actually believe many Christians today put family in the place of God. We're coming up to an election and so it's pretty topical at the moment. There is a Christian party amongst, amongst all of the candidates. Um, and they call themselves Family First. Now, why do they give themselves that name? Because it's appealing 
and to, to our nature, to put family first. But family first, is that the way of the disciple? The way of the disciple should always be God first. I've had many, many Christians say to me, Michael, I know God is calling me to such and such, but my family's got to come first. Really? Do they? And they try and justify it by saying, God's will has to be for me to put my family first, doesn't it? Does it? God's way is not family first. God's way is God first. Now, as we keep working our way through Matthew, I'm going to keep coming back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And what I want you to understand is that by putting God first is the best thing that you can do for your family. Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Putting God first means that God will put our family right. I spoke to you about the cost of ministry on my family. You know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. Your kids learn what is important, not by what you say, but by what you do. If what you do demonstrates to your child that he or she is the most important person in the world, then that's exactly what they'll believe. If you demonstrate to your kids that they are more important to you than God, then that's exactly what they'll believe. And they will grow up self-centred instead of God-centred. But if mum and dad demonstrate to the kids that following Jesus Christ is the most important thing in the world, then your children will learn that too. I want to tell you that especially in the last eight months, it has cost my family to follow Christ. But the biggest joy that I've been able to see is each of them individually choosing to follow Christ for themselves. Each of them individually choosing to serve Christ and to count that cost as their own cost of discipleship. Not counting it as a burden that Dad puts on them, but counting it as, hey, I'm following Jesus and yet it's costing me, but I'm okay with that because God comes first. And when you take your family on a journey of following Jesus, you are teaching them the way of discipleship. There is nothing greater for a family than to bear the cost of discipleship together. Can't get to Bible study because of the kids? Well, bring them with you. Or form a group at your own home and invite others to come along to it. Faced with a choice between church or sport, well, put God first. Sport can follow. God's got a mission for you, but for family reasons, there's an excuse for not obeying immediately. Well, take your family with you and give them the opportunity to go on mission too. 
You don't have to protect your kids from Jesus. You don't have to protect your kids from the cost of following Jesus. Bring them on the journey of discipleship too. Now I've got to move on. When we follow Jesus, no matter what the cost, no matter what the dangers, we can do it with confidence. Jesus and his disciples were in a boat out on the Sea of Galilee and a huge storm came up. The Greek word is actually seismos, which is the same word for earthquake. So she must have been, you've all been in some pretty big storms where the whole house seems to shake. Yeah, well, this is the sort of storm. She's a monster. And these guys are in a fishing boat out on the sea. Um, and some of the, some of the sail, sailmen there are, are experienced fishermen and they're scared out of their wits. And they wake Jesus up. <laughs> Save us, Lord, we're perishing. <laughs> oh, 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 why are you so afraid? Oh, you have little faith. Oh. Then he gets up and he rouses at the, at the winds and the sea. Can you imagine that? Jesus getting up. Oh, do that. See, stop that nonsense. Oh, you waves, wind, just stop. Imagine that. And instantly it's just like glass. Too smooth to ski on, your ski will slip out. Imagine that. The cost of following Jesus can be steep. But when you're in the boat with Jesus, you've got nothing to worry about. When you're in the boat with Jesus, he has you safe in your hands and safe in his hands, and that's what faith is all about. Discipleship, following Jesus, wouldn't make any sense if it wasn't for faith. When Jesus calls us as his disciples to follow him, we have every reason to trust him. If you have to leave your home, don't worry about that. He'll provide a place for you to live. If you think that it's going to be a cost on your family, don't worry about that. Take your family with you. I'd much rather bring my family into the boat with Jesus than to try and swim the storms of life without him. Wouldn't you? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Discipleship is not about getting a little bit of religious product. Discipleship is all in for Jesus. Following Christ no matter what the cost. Trusting him with good reason to trust him. Now the thing is, with, with a message like this, it's very easy for you to think, Michael's telling me to try harder. That's not what I'm telling you. The message of today is not try harder. The message of today is Jesus is Lord. Follow him. Never counting the cost. Follow him. Taking your family with you. Teaching your family to be God-centred rather than self-centred.